Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. On today's episode of NFP, photographer and finance at Zora, Such joins me to talk about how he finds a balance between his day job as a CPA and his work as a photographer. We discuss his approach to photography as a creative outlet, supporting others in the Web3 space, and how the current bank crisis points to cryptocurrency as an alternative to the problems of fractionalized banking and money printing. Hey, this is NFP, the non-fungible podcast with me, D. Klein. Today's episode is brought to you by the Koi Network. Koi makes minting NFTs super easy and inexpensive. Just drag and drop your file using their NFT wallet, Finny, and Koi takes care of the rest. Minting costs as little as one cent, so you can create as many NFTs as you want. And when they're viewed by other people, you even earn Koi tokens that you can use to fund your next series. Check it out at koii.network. All right, Sush, welcome to NFP. I'm so glad you could uh, make time to join me here for this today. Yeah, happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's interesting, you know, learning about you and uh, seeing how uh, I feel like we're kindred spirits. We both have these double lives <laughs> where yeah. we have kind of the, the, the day job, you know, uh, I'm a teacher, you're a CPA. Uh, and then we get our creative juices flowing outside of those hours. Uh, how have you made the two kind of fit together? You were saying just before the show how you you don't think it would be a great thing for you to just fully do this because it's kind of an, a relaxing thing for you or can you expand on that? Yeah, I think so I, it started with the intention of not becoming, you know, a photographer. I had always wanted to, to, to learn photography. I found it like very interesting uh, throughout going through school, but just never had the money to buy cameras and lenses. Eventually, during university, second year, you know, I'm going to go on Kijiji and just buy the cheapest camera I can afford mm -hmm. and teach myself how to do it. And it more, mostly just started as an experiment. Okay, like I had this idea in my head that I would like photography or like to learn photography, but like, would I actually do it? Ended up doing it. The more YouTube, you know, rabbit holes I fell into about learning photography, the more I realized, yeah, this is super fun. There's so much freedom of what, what is good, what's not good, what your own taste is. And then kind of like left it at that. And a couple of months later, somebody's like, hey, can you take like headshots for our student council like at university and we'll like pay you a hundred bucks? I was like, oh, look at that. It's not a business. <laughs> So it just kind of happened. Um, and throughout that, I just kind of realized for me, what I enjoyed was working with new people, showing those emotions. And like, I'm the walking contradiction of what a photographer should be because most photographers have a specific style and they copy paste mm -hmm. that style in like everything they do. So, you know, the brand awareness. So I know like I'm not doing that. For me, my emphasis has always been if I'm working with humans i want to make sure the photos that i'm taking for them that they're paying for represent who they are not my style so they're picking me so that i can show what they did um and i think that's what i enjoy is that like i have the freedom to kind of be fluid with what i deliver how i deliver it 
and also the maximum freedom of if I even want to do it, right? Because to me, I'm not right. dependent on it paying my bills. I have, a, you know, the double career of being in finance, and I love that, and I enjoy that thoroughly a lot more because it's the most exciting part in this industry there. So, yeah, I think that's why I would probably hate it if it becomes a full time thing. And like, I think that probably is like where I would have thought pre Web three, but I think Web three full time photography is a completely different topic, which I haven't fully explored. I've dabbled with it for the past year now,、um, but I think that would be probably why I was like, yeah, I don't want my creative outlook to be a full time burden to pay my bills to live a life. There's a lot of stress that、bills. comes with that. Exactly, and then you don't you lose that like the ability to say no, and I think I love that more than anything. It's like、eh, seems alright, but like I don't want to take this on, so no, thank you. I think there's power in that,、um, and I and I love that.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. You know, because I was saying how I'm beginning this leave of absence from my teaching career to、uh, write full time for Blockworks. Now, of course, for me, I do still maintain the creation of. Artworks as a creative outlet that'll be outside、yeah. of that work. So I think for me, it still works. You know, like the writing is gonna be, you know, my job. Let's say, and you know, the the drawing on my iPad is still gonna be the fun thing I do. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So I think yeah, so you know that's it, it can me, still work. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's where it, like I it works as like for finance. I do. Everything accounting and finance daily, and then I'm still doing the photography at will.、Um, whether that's traditional, you know, I still do wedding photography, and、um, or whether that be in Web three with NFT. So I'm still doing a bit. Then obviously I'm trying more and more to be more involved on the Web three world. But yeah, I, I it, at the current moment, like I think in this industry specifically, things change in a matter of weeks. So、yep. if something happens, you know, that might be my my tipping point. Like, yeah, let's just dive full time into photography, and you know, that would be fine. But I think、yep. it's just it hasn't happened yet, maybe, and that's why I'm still separating the two different lives,、um, the way I've kind of always seen in the normal traditional Web two world.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at your photography, you do obviously do the wedding photography, but when I look at your、uh, minted works、uh, on Ethereum all over the place. Um, super rare, etc.、Um, mostly, it's landscapes, skyscapes,、uh, particularly special moments that are happening in the sky, like your moon piece or the Toronto piece you have behind you there、um, in the, on your wall.、Um, can you talk about talk about that? I mean, the one that I noticed、uh, just looking through your work was one of them that was recently up on super rare with the airplane kind of breaking through the clouds. I forget the name of it. Um, but a lot of them, to me, they—they—they. They, they, my impression is, you're—you must be waiting for that moment. You're taking a photo and going, "Okay, click, 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 click." Ah, got one. You know what I mean? Can you talk to me about that experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for for me, what I've minted is is I, I would classify as travel photography,、uh -huh. um, and that also kind of came out as fluke.、Uh, in all honesty.、Um, I was going back, so I started learning photography in like 2014,、um, and then went back to to India over the summer after I graduated from university, and that was the first time I was in India as a photographer. And to me, 
you know, I grew up in India and, and my goal was, is there a way I can use what I learned in photography and capture one of the busiest countries in the world mm. in a peaceful way and relive my childhood through these monuments, through the history uh, that I grew up with in all these little palaces and forts, um, which, you know, anybody who's outside of India will call tourist places. Um, so I ended up doing that uh, and with the, with the only goal of make it look way less busy and more thoughtful yeah. when I take photos while still relearning my own history. And through that trip, you know, I went to the Taj Mahal and I captured a photo with zero humans on site. And it was just the Taj Mahal. And How is that possible? <laughs> uh, with like 45 minutes of waiting and like over 200 <laughs> shots and making sure that not a single person is in the, in the photo. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was something that I kind of, just figured I'm like, hey, like, I have time. I'm not in a rush. I'll set it up and, you know, like not having a tripod when I was traveling, just with my hand. So I'll just wait in this corner with like my hand, like elbow stuck in my, um, in my stomach as like acting as a tripod. Um, and I really love that experience. And that's usually what I've kind of like replicated and put in my mind. It's like, if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to try to capture the places the most people see you know, all the tourist space, uh, spaces that we have, wherever people end up going and add that little twist of like capturing it in either a different view, getting a different viewpoint um, or just capturing it with zero human beings. So that's the intent for, for when I travel is that, you know, I want to enjoy my traveling when I, wherever I go, but then I want to capture it in a way that maybe some people forgot to to look at or like pause and say, oh, this was the view that I actually enjoyed, not the one photo or one selfie I took with it in the back. So that's what I've been doing. And I think those are the shots that I end up putting and minting on chain uh, on Super Air or wherever. Um, and a lot of it's just waiting. And to me, it's worth it. It's how many times have you seen the Louvre in Paris without human beings? It's mm -hmm. very unlikely. But then I have so many of those shots. I was like, yeah, I'm going to use these um, for that. And then I think for the, the ones that you talked about, asked about, like the, the plane picking out of the sky, um, some of it is just planned and some of it is just like noticing a pattern of like, okay, like if you hear like six different planes coming in and the one's coming close enough and then you just kind of like pop over your camera and just be ready for it uh, and okay. hope that you get it because you have no idea where the plane's going to fly for, right? Sound and speed are two different uh, phenomenon. So, it, it's like some of them like again like there's some just random fluke and some just like oh i see like super um fast cars coming in and just pull my camera and be ready for it just in case i'm able to capture a shot or two so just having the camera on at all times um i think definitely does help to capture those shots yeah i'm just listening to you talk about i'm just thinking about how it's a meditative experience like there's uh you need to maintain a presence in the moment when you're doing that. That probably doesn't happen in your in your day-to-day -day job where you have all these thoughts going on, right? Like similar to me, again, where it's that busyness of your mind and the multiple decisions and so forth. Whereas with this, you have to be focused on that moment. You have to be living yeah. in that moment. Yeah, I think it's... It I, I would say maybe not necessarily focused, but I think just being aware of what's happening around you. Um, and I think with traveling, it's a lot 
more challenging is that because you're in a new place that you're already uncomfortable with or not it's not your comfort zone and then trying to be being self-aware of everything that's happening and then you know with the risk of like traveling with camera and photography gear is like it's a lot of money right so you always yeah. have that back back in your mind so i think just being more self-aware is like okay like what's the your purpose of the trip you know for me is always to enjoy my time and learn something new it's not mm -hmm. that i get this perfect photo that i'm going to mint on on chain that's a secondary thing like oh i really like that photo okay cool let's mint that but i'm not traveling for the purpose of i'm going with the sole purpose of finding cool shots just to mint so i can make money on that um it's more of a secondary thing for me and i think that's why it helps is that because i don't have that pressure of making money off of it to pay my bills i can enjoy it i can eat a gelato while i'm walking and like <laughs> get the gelato on my camera with like for a quick shot and i'll be fine with it because i'll just wipe it off like it doesn't matter to me like i'm like okay cool so that's an okay shot not worth it continue eating the gelato and keep moving back right so it's it's that i think where my mindset is a lot different than a lot of the other photographers that are in this space and you know there's nothing wrong there's no right or wrong way of things just because i have this as like my creative outlook i want to keep that as a creative outlook under my own terms mm -hmm. now just thinking about that i mean i'm thinking about your day-to-day -day. i mean you also do finance at zora now formerly at super rare um you're a cpa you're doing these wedding photos you're doing your travel photography i mean how are you managing you know all juggling all this stuff how does that work for you um it, it's hard <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, I think I, I started my career, you know, your typical big four audit firm. Um, and funny enough, didn't focus in the world of tech at all. I focused on manufacturing. That was my clientele. Uh, soon enough, realized, you know, manufacturing is not for me. It's not what I'm passionate about. And, you know, growing up, I was always like this tech tech person, tech nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I was fascinated by, you know, apps and gadgets. So decided to say, okay, I'm going to pivot into the world of tech. And, you know, what most same people do is they go into the world of SaaS. Because that's the most tangible thing you can get um, coming out of a non-tech background. While this was happening, I was learning about the world of, you know, crypto, blockchain, and then was doing that photography. And to me, it was very lucky that I came across Super Rare two years ago. Mm -hmm. That helped me kind of merge like, hey, we had this financial role for you. you know, I, official title was controller. Um, but we also like that you're a creative and you're a photographer and you can feel free to do that too on, on your own time. Like we want people who are in this industry to be a part of that. So, you know, I'm very lucky that Super Rare kind of encouraged me to pursue um, NFTs as like my own brand. Um, because before that, I wasn't doing any, I wasn't minting anything on my own. Um, and then the people there kind of encouraged me and like, I'm very thankful for that. And that basically started my NFT journey. And that was like the new things like, okay, this is cool. This is new, but this is cool. Um, so that's what I started doing that. Um, so I would say it's harder to manage the Web3 ecosystem just because I think everybody is kind of pointing this out. Being on Twitter is is draining and mm -hmm. it's not like you can just kind of 
throw off a GM tweet, which is now what I've kind of come down to whenever I don't have enough time during the day, but it's truly <laughs> the engagement part of it. Uh, but I still try to get the GM tweet out every morning uh, or like every, <laughs> at least every other day. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's obviously not as engaging as like me spending like six hours on Twitter every day. Yeah. Um, and, on, and on the photography side, I think um, I work with other photographers mostly. Like I don't take my own clients a lot. Uh, so I freelance for other photographers because they kind of do all the you know the work of like getting his bride and getting whatever it is and then i just get a text hey so you should just show up here and here are the hours here's like with a couple of shots that they're looking for the rest do your thing and i was like okay cool i'll just show up you know pass over the sd card at the end of the night take my money and just call it a day so it's come down to that a lot because i don't have time to manage you know brides i don't have time to do consultations and do wedding shows and do whatever else in the market and you know instagram and oh i just there's just not enough time for me to do all that so um i am good i have a good connection with a few of the, the wedding photographers full time in you know san francisco and in toronto and then i just like, show up whenever i'm in those cities like yeah i'm here if you need me to work i got my gear um you know text me and i'll show up so i think i've managed it that way and i can also just say no right i think that's to me more like yeah i'm tired this weekend i don't want to take on a 12 hour wedding and just stand with all my gear for 12 hours. Mm. So it's a very different scenario because I'm fortunate to where, you know, I enjoy doing what I'm doing in the finance world and now at Zora. Um, but then also having the whole, whole view of photography and, you know, you know, weddings and then also NFTs. Yeah, I know. It's interesting when you say about saying no, because I think a lot of people in this space are like us where they do have, you know, let's call it a day job. And then this yeah. is their creative outlet. And when there was an NFT boom and everybody was able to sell, you know, their art for a pretty good amount of money, you know, there were a lot of people that were going, Hey, you know what? I'm going to switch into this full time, you know, but that was yeah. really a pretty brief period about, let's say a year or so where that was a feasible thing for a lot of people. And then, you know, exactly. reality set in and you saw the McDonald's memes, you know, and the, you know, back to work kind of <laughs> thinking, right? And, you know, the reality is, you know, I would guess the vast majority of people who are artists of some sort also do have other jobs, right? And the art is the creative outlet. Yeah, and I think there's there's a very few amount of artists that are doing this full time. Um, you know, and a lot of them, I've been fortunate enough to kind of pick their brains about learn from them and but it's just not the norm a lot of it this is like their third or their fourth thing that they have to take care of to make sure that they're still physically present in the tour world they're physically present in all the nft and engagement side of the world um they have a website to showcase their art um so yeah it's it's i think that's one of the downsides of web 3 that i don't like uh, as the as the creative in me is that it's no longer just having an Instagram account and then kind of have the infeed of, of inquiries and in business, right? Or having a website and having a, a contact us page. Um, it's that you truly have to be on at all times. And I personally have a very different view of like the, you know, the hustle grind or always be grinding mindset. Like I think that's really, really bad. There should be bursts of that in your life, but you should not always be working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week, seven days a week. It's just not sustainable. 
and you will mentally and physically break down and it's gonna every time that happens more and more it's gonna be unrecoverable right so like i i think that's one of the the biggest views is like i don't want to always be working but like if i'm enjoying what i'm doing the number of hours don't matter right mm -hmm. and i think that's the differentiation is that okay if i thoroughly enjoy working 70 hours no problem cool i'll do it but then you also have to realize that okay you have to take a pause and truly know, okay, yes, I need sleep. I need to eat food that does not come in a bag, right? <laughs> uh, paper bag to be more specific. So I think a lot of, a lot of that is just, it just accumulates. And then if you have other responsibility, financial responsibility, then the stress gets adds, and then you become in this forever cycle of never kind of having your time for yourself or enjoyment. And then you're like, oh, I got to pay bills. I got to pay rent. I got to do this. I got to do that. I pay off my student debt. So it, it's, a, it's a vicious circle that I think people don't realize until they're too deep in. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I think that's why, again, like, this, the value of saying no is one of the biggest things that I've kind of realized more so recently. It's like, no, this is my time and I want to choose what I want to do with it. If I just want to hang out with my dog on the couch all Saturday, that's my decision. And I should be able to make that decision, right? Um, so, but also, sounds to me like, like you, you've, sorry, go ahead. And I, I think it's, gonna... it's more of this because I've, I'm more, again, I'm fortunate to like, I have what I love that pays all my bills. Right. Yes. And a lot of people don't have that. So I don't want it mm -hmm. to sound like, oh, like I'm pretentious, but like I'm fortunate that I have that. And because of that, I have that freedom to say no with with my time. And I think that's a lot what a lot of people are striving for. And I think that's what people should strive for, not to make more money all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sounds to me what I was gonna ask was I'm uh, getting the impression maybe this has happened in recent years where you, there was a time where you were not saying no to enough things. That's the feeling oh, yeah. I'm getting. Can you share with me like uh, a story of that? Yeah, I, I think just like, so I started my career at KPMG, which I think if anybody has heard of KPMG or any of the big four, you know that your work-life balance is non-existent no matter how much they promise uh, that you'll have one. So, you know, I was working... Uh, six days a week, almost seven days and a handful of businesses and weeks, uh, 70 to 90 hours. And then at that point, I hadn't done that many weddings as a photographer. So whatever came in, I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. So now mm -hmm. I had to like juggle this crazy work schedule, which I already wasn't getting enough rest and sleep. And then I had to then manage, you know, a wedding and a bride and like time schedules and itineraries and then show up on uh, a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday night and take photos and then spend like, you know, 20 to 40 hours editing photos on top of the 70 hours I was already working. It, it spiraled very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. It took maybe like seven months of me to kind of continue to do that during like the busy season, which is like January to, to early April for audit accounting. And then the wedding busy season starts like April to July. So by the end of like one full year of just doing this uh two back to back you just realized yeah, i hate my life i just couldn't <laughs> enjoy either of the things that i thought i would enjoy and then i just started saying no i was like no this is not worth it and then i became a bit more picky uh in what i said yes to and then that was like the realization it was like yeah i value that as a creative is to say what i want to take on and how that helps me because i've never done something like this 
it's a right away yes, right? I'm like, yeah, I haven't done NFTs. I'm going to spend all the time I can to learn about NFTs. If it's the type of wedding I've never done, hell yeah, I'm in. Because to me, I'm going to learn something new out of it, or I'm going to realize I hate that and I'll never do it again. Right. So it's, I suppose, it's a matter of prioritizing and then having to uh, pare down certain things. You know, like, I guess the struggle for me is always, you know, hmm, I don't know if I want to say no to that because it might lead to these and these opportunities. And, you know, it's all the, the potential the implications of, okay, if I do that, then this might happen or that might happen, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Any thoughts on, you know, how would you go about starting to say no and prioritize? Yeah, I think it's one of the hardest things and it's going to be different for everybody. For me, it truly was, would I rather be not doing anything in that time? And I come from where I didn't have that much time to like decide with anyway. So that was a very easy decision. Like, do I want to do this and get up six in the morning to go to a wedding, uh, getting ready for the bride at seven 30, you know, that's an hour away. Or would I rather just like to sleep in and go to Tim Hortons and get a coffee at 9am and not have to worry about anything for the rest of the day. So I think for me, it was like a very low metric to kind of like compare it to because I was already overworked. Um, so that to me was like, yeah, like I want time for myself. And then, hey, I haven't seen my friends in like two two months. Would I want to see them or would I want to do this wedding and make like extra thousand dollars in my pocket after all it's done? So to me, it really was like, yeah, like time for myself or like time for the people that are around me were the determining factor of like, if I'm going to take something on, something was quick, like an hour shoot. Okay, like, hey, I got a proposal. I'm like, okay, cool. I can do that because I know the commitment is a lot less. Uh, and I can squeeze that in a lot easier in my schedule than like a 12 hour wedding day um, or like a 10 hour wedding day plus the 40 hours of editing after that. So um, I think that's where I would start. It's like, truly, what do you value? Like, I now value time spending with my dog. And would I want to compromise that? And probably not. Uh, so I think it, yeah, it really having is. a dog, going for walks with your dog, that's got to be one of the best things in life. Oh, it's, I, I, I adopted my dog last year in January and mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to even like remember my, my work life from like working from home before I had a dog. And I'm like, how did I survive? Cause she's the only one that's keeping me sane at this moment. Cause she forces me to get out of the house before I start work. And then she's forcing me, but obviously like not forcing, but you know, I think I have to take her on a walk after I finish work. So like I start my day with her and I end my day with her. So it's like, how did I not, go insane before I had a dog and it's yeah, mind totally. blowing that that's the smallest thing of having a dog but obviously you know, there's a lot of different um, needs a dog needs but like those were like of yeah course. I get to walk yeah. two hours almost two hours every day like in fresh air whether it's cold or any whatever I gotta do it and this is like I found you know on the other flip side it was a great way to, like when you were uh, say socially you know maybe out visiting somewhere you could be like look Sorry, I gotta go. You know, the dog's at home by himself. You know, and yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. Right? It was a great way to kind of get out of things, honestly. But more oh, importantly, more importantly, I think, like you say, it was the routine. Our dog passed away a couple of years ago. We were looking at getting another dog, but we're not ready for the you know the year or so yeah. of like, holy crap, what have we done getting a dog? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's that first year that it is. It's a ton of work, right? Yeah. See, um, for, I've never had off. a dog. Okay. My parents had never had a dog. My family had never had dogs. 
but I always wanted a dog. Um, mm. And I wanted to, I wanted to adopt. I didn't want to buy, a, you know, to me, just like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to give a dog a second chance. And like, I'm going to put mm-hmm. my heart into it. And I got a dog who was believed to be a year and a half years old already. So I kind of passed the the, the baby oh, phase, okay. uh, the puppy okay. phase, which is also kind of sad. It's like, oh, like knowing my dog now, how she turned out, she would have been a hilarious dog as a puppy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then I missed out on that. But at the same yep. time, it's not the end of the world because I now know she's still a goofy one. Uh, she yep. likes having fun. She likes to test me. But um, yeah, I think I would say is like, you can get a dog, but just maybe, you know, get an older dog and you'll kind of not mm. regret or have There's that double idea. down decision of, yeah. um, but again, everybody having a dog is, is one of the, the best learnings I've had uh, in the last year of having her and a year and a bit of having her. And it's been, it's been fruitful. And I love it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about your collection. Um, I was looking on, you have a collection on DECA.art, yep. um, the Sush collection, um, and mostly photography. In fact, I think it's entirely photography. Uh, no. There's I would say like 90% photography. Yeah. Um, what's your, you know, your approach to collecting? Yeah, so I think, um, so when I was, to me, I think, my my attempt is to always kind of bring it back to the people and like to the community. I know the word community is thrown out a lot in, in crypto, but the way I looked at it is like I was fortunate enough to get that chance and get that encouragement at Super Rare to start my own journey of, you know, NFTs. What I had decided is that, okay, cool. Everything that I sell, all of the money that I make from selling my own art, I'll put it back into other photographers because photography mm-hmm. is what I know. I don't know about any other art. Like, you know, I know barely and I know whatever you go into museums, but I have no idea what good and bad is, but I know what photography is. So mm-hmm. what I basically started to do is that every sale I make, 100% of the proceeds will go back into collecting other photographers' work. So that's how I created and sustained a photography community around me. Uh, and I still do that, I again, because to me, I'm not doing it necessarily for the money. It's more like if I can onboard photographers into Web3, and be that, you know, the the motivation that needs like, oh my God, like Sushin collected my first piece or like my first edition. Um, I think that just, they need that a lot more than you think. Um, so that's kind of, I've kind of cycled in through, through how to create that collection. Uh, and I haven't collected in a bit, so I need to, to spend the ETH that I've, you know, made uh, <laughs> doing some random drops and editions uh, to, you know, go back to the community and buy stuff. But that's essentially like how, my collection grew and in terms of how i kind of go around it it's like look to me it's pretty simple if i like it i'm gonna buy it i don't Mm -hmm. care how new photography or how many followers you have it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in like if i like the work i'm just gonna buy it like to me it's very simple um and then there's a few photographers that i'm like okay cool like i don't have enough money but one day i'll buy your stuff eventually Mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's a, it's a very simple process for me. I, I don't play politics. I don't play the flipping game. I know uh, just like fortunate being in my background that the secondary market is just not as strong, especially for photographers. So, you know, you have to be in the top one to 2% of photographers to have that secondary royalty. So I'm not in the hope of flipping any of the work that I've you know, collected. Um, I love photography and you know, you see it in my background. Like I love having my own photos in canvases in, in my house. 
uh, in I've gone even a step further. I got a mural um, in my living room that I showcase all my photography that I bought. So like to me, I truly do enjoy photography uh, to the most extent, and I want to show other people's work that I've collected because I think they're cool, cool as hell. So I'm going to put it on whatever I can. I'd like to hear your insight about that. Why do you suppose it is that photography hasn't captured the same degree of attention in the NFT space as a form of art as, say, uh, traditional, uh, like there's a lot of pop art, 3D art, but photography, you know, is relatively niche. Why do you suppose that is? I mean, it seems to me like it's the perfect fit for NFTs, but for whatever reason, it doesn't get the same degree of attention. Yeah, I, I think there, there's there's a lot of views on this this topic. I think it's very underrepresented even now. Yeah, even yeah. though there's so many photographers out there, um, I think partly it could be because it's hard to to determine what is good and what is not good. Like you know, like the photo that I had that I took of the CN Tower skyline in Toronto. If you're in Toronto, you have this skyline in your phone you've taken this photo from the island a right. billion times, right? So I think that partly why is that because you've seen it so often and you've seen it in different colors, different editing, um, you've become desensitized to what is good or what is like appreciated. Whereas with art, you don't see that every day, right? If you're in SF, you've seen a billion photos of the Golden Gate. Right. If you're in Toronto, you've seen a billion photos of the CN Tower or the, you know, whatever, the Nathan Phillips Square. Um, so it no longer feels special. So like, ah, it's just a photo of Nathan Phillips Square. But to that photographer, it might feel a bit different. It might be their first day ever in Toronto. Um, so I think part of that is that because photos are so normal in our day-to-day -day Twitter news, movies, TV shows, people are just are not as easily amazed or in awe when they see something, unless it's mm -hmm. like fabulous and that's something uncommon. Um, so that could be the, the barrier of like, hey, it's just another Toronto photo or there's just another photo of whatever, like the Chicago being, no big deal. Um, and I think a lot of it would also have to do with just the product market fit. I think photography, there's so much cooler stuff that could happen, uh, but it's not happening. So here's like an idea that I was throwing around uh, to a handful of photographers. Like, what if like you as a user could only unlock my photos of Toronto unless you're in that physical space? So if you end up in Toronto, then on this you know website marketplace, you will see my photos for that location. Hmm. And I think that would be a cool way to now collect postcards through the world of blockchain. So you don't have to go to a place and buy the 25 cent or 50 cent postcard. Now you can actually say, hey, look, it's like Pokemon Go, but like for photographers. Yeah, like I right? was here. I yeah, think you're proving that you were in the exactly. location. And, it's, and then it's... It, it further like emphasized the ecosystem of blockchain. So it, like it acts as a pop, but also it's art, mm -hmm. right? So there's this new conversion of physical presence in the digital world. And then you can do the vice versa too. It's like, you live in the, the digital world because you were physically there at some point and only you would have access to that. So like that I think would be something super awesome because now you have that intent of like, oh, like I want to go where Sushin took that photo and here's like the general coordinates that it will unlock. And then now you can A, get an airdrop or 
ability to buy this piece, or you get to now experience what I experienced. And maybe you can, you know, document how it changed, how much it changed, right? Because if you go from five years from now, I'm sure the skyline is going to be different. Have you gone 10 years ago, skyline would have been completely different. So I think there's that's, there's layers that are still being thought about. Um, but right now, I think for photographers, it's just like, it's a lot of it is, there's a lot of noise. There's so many photographers, so many uh, replicated photos with slightly different angles, slightly different editing. So there's no it factor in a lot of the photography that's out there. And I think a lot of them are just scared of Web3. And like, I think to their defense, like they, they're not wrong. <laughs> like it's very volatile. It's unpredictable. It's costly to mint, especially on Ethereum. So if you already don't have money, like do you really want to spend more money on this? And to see that if it's going to, you know, succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot of things that uh, I know that people who are pro photographers in Web3 are, are thinking about and kind of coming up with ways to not only just encourage, but also engage. And I think that's where um, it'll happen. And I'm hoping that that transition happens and picks up the, the I guess, the, the wind of having more photographers being comfortable in this space and right. then experimenting with this space. Speaking of volatility, it's been pretty crazy the last week, you know, with all the the bank failure stuff and Silicon oh, Valley yeah. and, you know, um, talk of interest rates and talk of bailouts. They don't want to say the word bailout, but it's a bailout. Um, yeah, they're giving trillions of dollars, but it's not a bailout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they literally basically doubled the amount of money in the economy with that move. Um is uh, just know, like how inflation was transitionary it wasn't inflation <laughs> right oh yeah this is only this is only transitory it's only going to be here for you know a few months don't worry yeah. about it it's we're all not good. in a recession yeah Two quarters we're not in a recession um there's some interesting implications with that when you see uh, you know what's happening right now with bitcoin and ethereum and uh, we're not giving financial advice here, folks. We're just, you know, talking about the situation. But um, isn't the Fed supposed to do their next uh, interest rate statement this next week? Isn't it? This Coming Wednesday week? Coming? Yeah. Monday yeah, or yeah. Tuesday? Oh, Wednesday? Wednesday? Um, they always do it on yeah, Wednesday. I, think so I could be wrong. What do you think? Are they going to do uh, a pause? Or are they going to hike 25? Uh, I think they're going to hike because you hike. Uh, so I think they're trying to match whatever you is doing at the moment. Um, yeah, you did a 50 point hike, I think, didn't they? Didn't you? Yeah, they did a 50 yeah. point. Um, so I think, you know, it might be a hike, uh, but let's see how they sell it. Uh, I think that's where the, the, what more people are interested about, like how they sell the hike versus just claiming it a hike. But overall, I think, you know, in this world where you see I think SVU was the 14th biggest bank in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Crumbled the way it crumbled. Um, it kind of like concerns you that, you know, everybody was like, oh yeah, traditional infrastructure is great. Why should we trust crypto? Why should we trust blockchain? I think this is the exact reason that we should consider blockchain as, a, as an alternative. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm pro or maxi on blockchain right off the bat. Like, there are a lot of problems in blockchain that we need to fix before mm-hmm. it could be mass, uh, massly used or massly available. But little things should be able to uh, save people's money. Like, right now, it's the, 
it's the little guys that hurt in the infrastructure that we've created on the on the financial side. And you know, I have to imagine having millions of dollars or having, you know, being a SaaS company or being a company that had all of your money in SVB. And as a Friday night, you'll be like, that's it. You only get 250K. Doesn't matter what yep. you got. That's all that's insured. How bad is that that you have to not worry about your entire headcount? Are they gonna get paid? And like payroll, you're gonna get sued if you don't pay people on time. Right. And that's a class action suit if you have more than like four people. Um, and then are you going to break any jurisdiction globally? Because if you have international employees, you might have different jurisdictions. You know, EU has one of the hardest ones to to kind of combat. So this is what like the executive teams and leaders were thinking about as of Friday when the bank was like, yep, that's it. FDIC is the only thing you can get. Fortunately, you know, it wasn't a bailout, but we got money uh, into the bank, feed it on Sunday night. Um, that was like one of the stressful 48 hours for, you know, most of the world, most of the people in tech. And not just about their money or like execs losing kind of money. It's more like the people, like people signed on and trusted you as a company. And we trusted, you know, the banks because that's what everybody says. Hey, bank, trust us. Um, and it failed. So it kind of like shows even the biggest bank is not too big to fail. And crypto does have that alternative of, okay, store your own crypto, you know, store your own keys, put it on a ledger, put it on any other hard, cold wallet. Um, and be fully responsible for your own funds. And I think that currently is is a selling point through this past week where, you know, three banks have kind of gone through a very similar situation is that, yeah, like if you just have your own ledger, for example, you don't need a bank to facilitate transactions for you. You are not locked in. If you have $1,000, you have $1,000 in your ledger. But if you have thousand dollars in your bank account you technically only have two dollars in the bank account because they loan out mm -hmm. the remaining 98 percent. so you you it's start your thinking money about things. once it's in the bank it's the bank exactly money. yeah and yeah i think people people like again i think i i understand the world of finance and counting a lot more than you know a normal person would because that's my day to day but basically the moment you deposit money into the bank you become a debtor it's mm -hmm. like you're loaning the money and it's not really helping your situation because if the bank goes down, the money goes down with it, right? So it's more just like, I think it's a, it's a perfect time. And I think that's what's happening is why, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are picking up since these, uh, these news and these um, uh, banks falling apart is it shows that, that, yeah, the Ethereum and the Bitcoin ecosystem does have something that is better than the traditional banks. And um, they're not perfect, you know, not saying that either of them are, but like they have something that the current bank systems don't, you know, whether that's public uh, visibility of it, like, okay, you can implement a, a maybe like a semi-private blockchain in the world of banks. So everybody sees how much money you actually in the treasury versus the loan debt. Because if there's a crisis, you know, that's that. And then another conversation that I think a lot of the VCs are happening is just, basically trying to tighten those policies at the government level. like, why are we allowing banks to loan out 98% of the deposits, right? Should that be 95? Should that be 90, right? Should that be even a lot less? Because it was a lot less pre-COVID and then they bumped it up to almost 100%. And I think now they brought it back down to 98. Not 100% sure, but I think that's the- the it's a, it sounds about right to me, yeah. Yep. But I think that's where the conversation is happening. It's like, well, you're saying that trust the bank systems and yet, when people did trust it, it still fell apart. Mm -hmm. So 
there needs to be some changes, whether you do it on the technology side or whether you do it on the policy side. Um, and I think those are two very crucial conversations that um, are happening now. And I'm very fortunate that they're happening at a, at a mass scale, not just four people, you know, screaming the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the SVB situation, it's kind of a unique one in that this was a bank that like 90 some percent of their clients had more than $250,000 in their accounts. This was not the kind of place that, you know, Ma and Pa, you know, little shop has their accounts in, you know, uh, which made it a problem because, you know, (laughs) that meant it it was a very concentrated uh, 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 type of uh, liability there. Uh, for the bank with all those depositors coming from the same sector. Not only that, but I mean, from what I've heard, their risk management was like, they were not hedging against the interest rates uh, very effectively. Uh, And I think that's probably putting, understating it. Um, You know, so it's a bit of a unique one, but then you hear this where people will say, oh, but that's a unique situation. And then it's like, okay, but then what about all these other banks that are having problems now? Is this really that unique of a situation, right? You know, and the other part being, you know, you have this deregulation that happened where, you know, you know, these are banks that are just on the cusp of uh, having those laws about having those hedges, right? Because if you get a little bit higher uh, balance sheet, then all of a sudden they do have to have those hedges there to protect themselves, right? So these are all these banks yeah. that are just kind of on that edge, right? You know, and there's a lot of those banks. There's a lot of banks that fit into that category. It's not just SVB. Oh, I know. Yeah. And I think it's it's more like you. we can't keep using the excuse of like, oh, this is an isolated event or this is like a special case scenario. But like, sure, yes, based on the clientele, it could be. Um, but it still like impacts the general population of the US and also, you know, slightly globally, because those companies had thousands and thousands and thousands of employees right. who are now were at risk of not getting paid, which means it trickles down to truly the mom and pop and the kids. Yes. And yeah. people don't realize that like that's still how it's all connected. Um and also like since you know SVB, you know, you had Silvergate, you got Signature Bank, you got First Republic Bank. So it's not an isolated event. These are four banks that are fairly well known uh, mm-hmm, in the tech mm-hmm. sector, bare minimum. And then First Public, uh, not like I guess not a tech sector prominent position, but it's a big enough bank to be worried about. Um, and it's just yeah, like like fortunate that it didn't impact the mom and pops and you know individuals right off the bat, but like in, it did have a massive impact for not meeting payroll. Right. You know, I, I, I was seeing there was an opinion piece. I forget which paper it was in that was saying they should just let it fail and let all these tech bros, you know, experience, you know, some suffering or whatever. It's like, I don't think you understand the situation here because yeah. yeah. Okay. The tech bros are a part of this, but there's a lot of people with regular jobs, making an income, take care of their families that are dependent upon this and 250 K for a company that's not a lot when it comes to your payroll. Like you could run up pretty damn fast. It, yeah, it's, it's not enough. And I think a lot of times what people don't understand is that these, you know, these tech bros that they're referring to are usually the founders or the, you know, the C levels. Mm-hmm. If the company is not, you know, well positioned, they're not getting paid a lot to begin with. The majority of their earning is based on, you know, stock compensation. So, even like for them to say that, oh, like let the tech bros fail, 
you don't understand they're actually probably the least paid humans in their entire company because to <laughs> them their incentives aligned for the success of the company not to drain their own cash right so yeah you just have these a lot you just have like wide opinions on especially this topic but you know the, the use cases most most of the cases are that founders usually don't take a huge salary to begin with unless they're like quite further on you know series cd they'll get their adjustments but if they're just starting up they're barely making any money if that right uh, right, because they got to make sure that the people working for them are getting paid. And if there's no money left over money. after the people working yeah. for them are getting paid, they're not getting paid. Exactly. You know, so like I've seen founders that take like a $45,000 salary in the Bay Area, which is like nuts. Um, you can't and go on that the standard in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. And usually the standard, you know, it's like 100K, which like, you know, it's a lot of money, but like in tech, that's not a lot of money. And for a city like New York, San Francisco, Seattle, 100k is not a lot of money, right? So um, there's a lot of founders who are basically using those as benchmarks. Like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, let's have more money in the pool so that we can hire the best talent. We can hire the best engineers. We can hire the best product people. We'll go to sales, go to market um, folks. And I think that's the mentality. But if the banks fail, the founders can't do that. The executives can't make those decisions anymore because now they have no money to, to fall back yeah. on. So, yeah, I think See, it's... So that's where I wonder about the Fed... I wonder about the Fed pausing, you know, uh, and I feel like that's what's happening in crypto is people are pricing in a pause. Like if you look at the the rate that Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone up in the past, what, week and a half? I think yep. people are banking, excuse the expression. I think people are banking on a pause. Wouldn't you say so? Like it feels like to me, like it's like, okay, risk on everybody. Let's go. See, I think that's, speculation and of course it's speculation strive yeah. for um yeah. if i were to say i don't think a pause is going to be there i think it's going to have it's going to be a hike now i don't know what the hike is going to be um but i do see the other side of like not having a hike is because they flooded two trillion dollars to save banks they add another fund to for the smaller banks to protect their their assets um so there's a lot of money already so inflation's you know, if it was bad, now it's worse because uh, now we just doubled our cash, available cash in the economy uh, based on those influx. Um, so they kind of have to hike. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, right. So like logically, A plus B equals C. And I think the C is the hike. Um, but if the government and like and like not to add more to it, but this is a election year in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? So. It all depends on, you know, political motive at this point. Like if they hike, they might not get the attention that they want when they start doing their their um, promotion and everything for the elections come fall. So there's a lot of things that I think speculation is phenomenal because of that, because everybody has different views on it. But yeah, it's um, I think if you were to look at it very logically, there should be a hike. I just don't know what that hike is going to be, you know, 25 basis or 50 basis, but there's probably going to be a hike. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm guessing that there will be a hike, but I'm also seeing that that's going to cause some serious problems as well. And I don't, it's caught, they're caught between a rock and a hard place, honestly. I don't think there's a way you there's can no solution. this without some yeah. kind of fallout, honestly. You know, yeah. So. And if the solution is print more money, then it's a never ending circle. <laughs> 
Well, and at the end of the day, I think they will get there. They will get to, well, yeah. and they already have in a way. It's like, okay, we just got to print more money, right? I mean, that's essentially what they did with this uh, with this little uh, help that they're handing out to banks, right? I mean, ultimately, at the yeah. end of the day, it's going to come to printing money. Don't you think so? Isn't that the ultimate? Yeah, I think there? that's how, that's exactly how the current system works. The printer goes burr, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. Like, oh, we need more money, and we don't want to touch our deficit. Okay, we'll just print more money. Yep. Um, so it's a tricky place to be in, though. I, I recognize that. I don't think there's an easy way. People will say, "Oh, they just need to do this." It's like, no, it's not. I don't no, think that's like, a simple it's it's a lot harder to manage one of the biggest economies in the world <laughs> yes. than just hey, just do this, and it'll solve all your problems. But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Only if it was that easy. But no, it we does all could make. Be <laughs> Yeah, it does make an argument for cryptocurrency. Absolutely. It does make an argument for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's talk, um, you know, near term. What do you have planned for the next near future here? Maybe with Zora, you can talk about that or in your own work as a photographer. Yeah, I think uh, so. I started Zora. I've done one month. So, you know, it's relatively new, but it's one of those mm -hmm. um, very um, amazing places to start at uh, leading finance. So something new for me as well, just kind of creating that full infrastructure without having uh, prior infrastructure internally. So lots of learning there, phenomenal team. And I think um, we got some great things lined out uh, that are coming up to, to, uh, to our product, to our protocols. I think we're going to be super pumped for that. Uh, so work-wise, you know, just trying to play the catch-up game and learn as much as we can, get a good handle on everything and make sure that we grow the way that we're anticipating our growth. Um, just stoked for that. And on the personal side, I think for me, is I'm just experimenting, I think, at this point, because to me, you know, I have the the one of one for photography. Um, so I just launched an edition um, this past week with Transient Labs, their new uh, stacks feature, um, which is pretty awesome. And like something I think they're only there doing at the moment where every time somebody mints, like time gets removed from the total available time for it for, for minting uh found that pretty cool i'm like yeah i'm gonna try this so you know i have a piece there so less it ends in i think under two days at this point okay. um mm -hmm. so kind of like playing playing with new tools i think is there's no experimenting and i think um i haven't dropped the one-on-one -on -one in a in a very long time i think my last one-on-one -on -one was in september oh wow okay um, so I think I am going to do a handful of one-on-ones that I've planned for throughout my travels and drop those uh, very likely on Super Air um, uh -huh. and kind of see how the market reacts, I think. Uh, and I think you would agree too, like the, the, come January, the market kind of pivoted completely towards additions and yes. there were not a lot of one-on-ones being dropped. And then at least for what I've seen open now- all stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, which is what, you know, plug that Zora's, you know, main product right now at this moment is just doing open editions. So if you're doing open editions, come out to Zora. I can help you out if you need any help. Um, but now I've seen that kind of trend on the photography side. Again, like I'm more so focused on the photography world. That has dropped off quite steeply. Yeah. And the photography open editions are not doing so hot as they were back in January. So I've, I'm wondering if this is the time that everybody kind of goes back into the one of ones. So I'm trying to play, uh, 
I guess, you know, speculation, playing the odds of like, okay, maybe it's time for me to drop my one-on-one now because it wouldn't have done so well if I were to drop it during the Open Edition world. Um, and I think personally, I think my goal is like my current all-time high is at a 0.58 rate, which is, you know, compared to all these artists that you speak to and you kind of come across, it's pennies, it's nothing. But to me, kind of coming from zero to, you know, almost it's phenomenal and it's like yeah this is awesome and it goes all back to the community so i think what i want to do ultimately is come to a point where i'm playing with the 1-8 mark so that i can then bulk support other photographers versus kind of like you know 0.5 after fees on platforms is 0.35 and you can't really buy (laughs) a lot of art other other than editions usually yeah yeah so if i kind of strive to get somewhere in the in the ETH range, and I still get you know almost eighty five percent of the ETH to to play with, and I think I can support either a lot more photographers that are very small, or somewhere in the in the the mid range photography that are not like you know the cats of the world, but also like okay, cool, you have the range of zero point three to zero point one, zero point eight nine nine. So kind of again, like for my goal is always kind of push it back into in support of the photographers. I'm not here to you know become a billionaire from from photography would be great i'm not i'm not going to say no to it but i think for me that if i can upscale my talent to get more um price benefit from my own work it'll help me kind of onboard more photographers i think ultimately that's what i'm trying to do uh whether that was at super errors or as bring more photographers visibility because i do believe that photography is very underrated and it's underrepresented in the world of web three at the moment and i want to help in any way i can Right on. Hey, Sush, I really appreciate you taking this time to talk with me. It kind of went all over the place because I think we're both people who are kind of all over the place, you know? (laughs) So, uh, very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to, to, uh, talk with me here today and I wish you the best with your new work at Zora and your upcoming photography. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to those as well. And I think, um, with your work too, I know, I think you, you're over 250 episodes. I, that to me is phenomenal that you're just speaking to people like me, like other folks on your on your podcast. And you know, I hope you keep going. This is this is a great outlet to just kind of share, learn more. Um, you know, probably for you, you just have so much wealth of knowledge at this point. Everybody just coming. Oh, in I've learned so much from it. Notes. Absolutely, it's really uh, it helps motivate me and inspire me. And yeah, definitely, it's keeps me yeah, going. So I, so I hope. You know, thanks for having me on here. And I think um, don't stop doing this because it's still early. I know people may disagree, but it's still early. And I think you have a good handle of you know, all the conversations that need to be happening without officially giving financial and legal advice. So I think, you know, keep doing it, keep doing it. I think more and more people will find this useful as they go through your channels. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again. Have an awesome day. Appreciate it. You too. Bye. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of NFP with Decline, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.